to the book of John first. <clears throat> John 17. John 17. Now, last night, Brother Shanks quoted a passage of Scripture 
when he talked to us for a few minutes about uh, oneness and unity, the oneness and unity of believers, speaking about Lincolnwood Church and Laird Street Baptist Church being one. He quoted that scripture from Psalm 133. Don't turn to it. Stay at John 17. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity or oneness. Well, I plan to speak this morning on that subject. I think it is, would be a profitable study for us. And the title of the message is True Oneness. What is true oneness? Now in John 17, let's read beginning with verse 20. John 17, 20. Now you recognize this as being the Lord's Prayer. This is the high priestly prayer when our Lord Jesus Christ prayed to the Father. And he says in verse, and he's praying about his people. And he says in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all, that they all, these disciples and these who shall in future generations, millenniums, believe on me through their gospel, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, the glory which you have given me I've given to every one of them, that they may be one even as we are one. True oneness, oneness. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That's oneness. Now, people have used this scripture for centuries to try to teach and preach that all religions and churches and professing Christians might come together under one umbrella. There have been all sorts of what they call ecumenical movements to bring denominations and churches and organizations together. They say, this is what they say. We all believe in one God. We all read the same Bible. We all believe in life after death. We're all aspiring or aiming for the same place to go to heaven. So everybody ought to get together 
and present a united front and be one. Well, my friends, it'll never be done because religious people are not one. They're not one. They're divided over the essentials of faith. Just because men read the same Bible does not mean that they agree on what that Bible says. You understand what I'm saying? They disagree on the essentials of faith. The church is right down this road, up and down this road. There's one right up here, United Baptist. There's one right here, Laird Street Baptist Church. There's another church right down the road here. And they, those three don't agree on the essentials of faith. They don't agree on the inspiration of the scriptures. The Southern Baptist Convention is split today over verbal inspiration or, or the liberal uh, idea of inspiration. They don't agree on the inspiration of scriptures, whose word it is that we're reading. They don't agree on the character of God. I have people say to me, you know, the God you preach is not my God, and, and that's true. A lady in our church, as some of you know quite well, she and her mother have been sharply divided over the gospel for several years. Finally, the mother said to her not too many months ago, Honey, I think the problem between us is we're worshiping different gods. And the girl says, that's what I've been trying to tell you. They don't agree on the character of God. They don't agree on the fall of man, what happened in the garden. There's no agreement on that. They don't agree on who Jesus Christ is. They don't agree on his person and work. They don't agree on why he died. They don't agree on his resurrection. Some of them don't even believe there is a resurrection. They don't agree on who the Holy Spirit is. They don't agree on the gifts. They don't agree on the work of the Holy Spirit. They don't agree on the return of Christ, the kingdom of God. They don't agree on the covenant of grace. They don't agree on how God saves sinners. That lesson you taught this morning, the multitude of so-called Christians wouldn't have it for a second. And yet you read it right out of the Word. And you kept reading it and kept emphasizing it must be by grace. It has to be by grace. It's not of works. It has to be by grace that it might be of God, that it might be sure. So it's impossible. Don't even think about such a thing as all religious people, organizations, so-called churches, and denominations getting together and becoming one. They are not one. But let me tell you this. All true believers are one. They not ought to be one. They are one. Let's look at a couple of verses in this John 17 here. Look back at verse 2. Our Lord Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee. Now look at verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. Our Lord has authority, power over all flesh. Believers and unbelievers, Jew and Gentile, male and female, old and young, all flesh, Christ has all authority. He's every man's Lord. He's every man's king. By decree, by design, by death, he bought the world. It's his. He died that he might be Lord of the 
dead and the living. He has all authority over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to whom? That he should give eternal life to as many as the Father hath given him. He's going to give eternal life to every one of his sheep, every one of his elect, every one whom the Father hath given him. In John 6, he said, All that my Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. I came down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do his will, the will of him that sent me. This is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he hath given me, See, he says here, Thou hast given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life. Eternal life's not an offer, it's a gift. And he's going to give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he had given me, I lose nothing, not one, not a hoof or a hair will be left behind. You know, when Israel came out of Egypt, not a hoof, not a hair was left behind, not a one, not a cripple, not a blind one, not an infant, not an old one, not a one. They all left. And he'll give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now look it down at verse 9. He keeps on talking about these people. He mentions this six times in John 17, to as many as thou hast given me. Now look at verse 9 of chapter 17. I pray for them. I pray for them. I, the Messiah, the Son of God, the high priest, I pray, I intercede for them. For them. For whom? I pray not for the world. Our Lord never, answer, never offered a prayer that wasn't answered. Our Lord never asked for the salvation of any person that, who hasn't been saved. Our Lord never prayed contrary to the will of the Father. He said, I know you always hear me. And he said, I pray for them, them which thou hast given me. I don't pray for the world in general. Our Lord didn't die for the world in general, and he doesn't pray for the world in general. He died for his sheep. He prayed for his sheep. He said in John 10, listen, you remember this. This is such a familiar passage. Our Lord said, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one foe and one shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Another sheep I have. And he says here, I don't pray for the world. I pray for them which thou hast given me. They are thine. They're yours, Lord, and all yours are mine. And all mine are yours. <laughs> I'm glorified in them. That's when he said in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for all them which shall believe on me through their word. Now, true believers, listen to me. True believers are not one because they all read the same Bible. That's not why they're one. True believers are not one because they believe in one God. That's not why they're one. They do believe in one God. They do believe, read the same Bible, but that's not why they're one. 
True believers are not one because they're all aspiring for the same place. They are. But that's not why they're one. True believers are one because they're in one body. They're in Christ. Now here stands, we're going to use the word body quite a bit from here on. But here stands before you a body. Here's a head. Here's a body. This arm is a part of this body. This arm is a part of this body. This thumb is a part of this body. This ear is a part of this. This eyelash is a part of this body. The smallest toe, the fingernail, everything that makes up this body is a part of this body. And that's why believers are one. They're all one because they're all in Christ who is the head. They're in him. And they're all one. It's impossible for them not to be one. Isn't that correct? Impossible. They're one, one body. You know, John said this. Some people had left. They left the gospel and left the fellowship of believers. And, and John said this. They went out from us. But they weren't of us. If they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. They have to. They're one body. You won't meet this hand out in the yard after a while unless the rest of them is there with it. Where the head is, the body ain't far behind. That's right. Where the head is, the body's not far behind. And that's the reason John said, if they had been of us, no doubt they would have continued with us because they're part of the body. They're one. That's right. They're one. Turn to Ephesians now. Turn to chapter 1 of Ephesians. True believers are one in heart. They're one in mind. They're one in fellowship. They're one in doctrine. Oh, yes, true believers believe the same thing about the inspiration of Scripture because they're taught of the same spirit. They believe the same thing about the character of God. Every believer knows God's sovereign because that's his God. Every believer knows who Christ is. That's how he was saved when he called on Christ, when he looked to Christ. Not another Jesus, not another gospel, not another spirit, but the one Christ, the one gospel, and the one spirit. That's how God saved him. He wouldn't be saved if he didn't know who Christ was, would he? He trusts and knows and loves the person and work of Christ. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the body. <laughs> That's right. They're one. I don't care whether you find them down in Tikal, where Jose's preaching this morning, or whether you find them in Isamal, where Brother Walter is preaching this morning, or whether you find them down in Shoppers over in Ivory Coast or Australia, wherever you find a believer, he's in one body. One body. And he all, they all believe the same thing about God, about the fall, about the Bible, about Christ, about his personal work, about salvation, about the resurrection. They're all taught of the same spirit. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 3. That one, because God says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's where our blessings are in Christ. According as he chose us in Christ. 
before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under uh, the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. To himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath accepted us, where? In Jesus Christ, in the beloved. In whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will to every one of us. We know the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one oh, all things in Christ. God has brought them together in one in Christ. Every believer of every age, of every generation, both which are in heaven, Moses and Abraham and Isaiah and David and Solomon and all of and which are on earth, even in him. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that believers are one. Every believer, wherever you find one, wherever you're introduced to one, if that person truly has been chosen in Christ, loved in Christ, called to Christ, accepted in Christ, who has faith and love for Christ, that person is one with every other believer. Now, let's go to our text. I'll try to be brief. I want you to see this in Ephesians 4, which the pastor read for us a few moments ago. This is true oneness. And they are all one. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. I'm the prisoner of the Lord. He, wasn't, he was in jail when he wrote this, but he says, I'm not the prisoner of Nero or Caesar or the Roman government or the Pharisees. I'm the prisoner of the Lord. I'm here by his will. That's the reason he could say whatsoever state I am in, I'm content because I'm there by his will. I'm the prisoner of the Lord. I beseech you, you believers, the Bible's written to believers, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Paul is saying here, you believers walk and talk and live in a manner worthy of your calling. Becoming. Remember whose you are and remember who you are. You're a son of the king. You're a child of God. Remember whose you are and who you are and walk in a way worthy of your calling and becoming to your station. You're children of God. You're the family of God. Therefore, he says in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, humility, with long-suffering, patience, and forgiveness, forbearing one another in love, endeavor, endeavoring, striving to keep the unity of the Spirit, the oneness of the Spirit. Striving together to keep that unity of the Spirit, that oneness in the bond of peace. Now, let me turn to two or three other scriptures. Turn to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Paul is saying every one of us strive, endeavor to keep that oneness, that unity of believers in love. In Colossians 3 verse 14, listen to this. 
And above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you're called in one body. And be ye thankful. And be ye thankful in one body. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 16 and 17. He says, this cup, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the body of blood of Christ? Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread, we're one body, we're all partakers of that one bread. All one. All right, back to the text. Now here are seven things that we're going to look at briefly in regard to this true oneness. You understand what the scripture is saying, that every, all believers, and that word, as the pastor was reading it a while ago, that word all just kept coming through, all, 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 a one, one in Christ, all one. Not ought to be, not should be, not will be. They are all one in Christ right now, one in heart, one in mind, one in the fellowship of the Spirit. All right, here he says in verse 4, there is one body. What's that talking about? It's talking about one church. Now, there are many churches and many local churches. I, I preached this message some time ago in a certain place, and a man came up to me, and he said, Don't you believe in a local church? I said, Oh, I definitely do. I'm pastor of a local church. I believe a local church, I believe in the local church, I believe the local church hedges about baptism and hedges about the Lord's table and trains pastors and sends missionaries and, and uh, preaches and teaches to people in their area. Sure, I believe in the local church. But this one body here is the church, the universal church, the true Catholic church. And that word Catholic is not Roman Catholic. It is the true Catholic church, and there's one church, and it may, it's made up of all believers of all generations of all ages. It's his church, of which he said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me show you some scriptures. Turn to Ephesians 5, just over one page. And you know, a local church, <clears throat> a local church uh, may have some unsaved people. In a local church. We always hope not, but it may be so. There may be some tares, maybe some hypocrites, there may be some people who do not really know Christ. Maybe someday they will know Christ. Maybe if they keep hearing the gospel, they'll someday know Christ. My tape director and his wife were members of our church for 15 years before they ever came to know Christ. That's right. And some of you were members of the church before you came to know Christ before you learned the gospel. I was. I was pastor of a church before I learned the gospel. I pastored a church three years before I knew the gospel. So a person can be a member of a local church and not know Christ. But in this church, the body of Christ, there are no tares. There are no hypocrites. There are no unsaved people. It's his body. You can't be in his body and in his church unless you belong to him. 
And listen to what it says in Ephesians 5. It says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. This church, it's called the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. It's his body. Turn with me to uh, Colossians 1 over just a few pages, verse 18. Colossians 1.18. It says here in Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the church. He's the head of the body of the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. He's the head of the body, one body, the church. It's his church. It's his people. One other scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, before I leave this point. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25. That there should be no schisms, divisions in the body. There's not. This hand does not operate separately from the rest of the body. If this hand is wounded, this one hurts too. The whole bodies. When one suffers, they all suffer. When one's happy, they're all happy. There'd be no divisions in the body, but the members should have the same care one of another. I tell you one thing, if you're putting a roof on a house and you're holding a nail and you hit it and hit that thumb, this this hand will grab it. <laughs> Won't it? <laughs> Sympathetic. That's what he's talking about. The members they do. They say Christians ought to love one another. They do. Christians ought to help one another. They will. Amen. Christians ought to pray for one another. They do. Christians ought to be faithful to worship. They are. That's, that's true. That's oneness. That's oneness. Just like this body operates as a whole. It's the head dictates what it does. And this hand obeys this head. It not ought to, it does. Isn't that right? That's, let me read on. And whether one member suffer, they all suffer. One member honors, they're all honored. And you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now God set some in the body, first apostles and prophets and teachers and so forth. In other words, he gives everybody his own responsibility. I don't ever scratch my head with my big toe. That's not the responsibility of that toe scratch. It's the responsibility of this hand up here. Everything does what it's supposed to do. And it does what God ordered it to do in a complete body. Or back to my text. Let's, I'm taking too long, but this is, this is so, this is, this is just true. It's some more of that, what I said the other night. It's not deep, it's just so. Look back at the text, Ephesians 4. There's one body, there's one spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. I hear people say, well, we need to all pray that we might have the Holy Spirit. If you have not the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. 
You see, this body, spirit, is life. The spirit of God is life. That's the reason if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if this this body, this hand, every part of this body has the same life. It has the same blood, has the same life. It has the same, it's the, it's the same. And every believer has the Holy Spirit. We pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit for certain responsibilities. I know, uh, Chris, before you taught your class this morning, you asked God to be with you in a special way. And before I came up here to preach, I asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. By one spirit are you all baptized into the body of Christ. It's by the Holy Spirit I got in the body of Christ. No man can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit by whom we're regenerated. We're born of the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit who convinced us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who revealed Christ. And he shall take the things of mine and show them to you. That's what Christ said about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit sealed us with in whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whereby you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals us and the Holy Spirit is our earnest, our token of God's mercies. Fellowship, look back at verse 2. When I read a while ago, Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity, the oneness of the Spirit. This oneness is of the Holy Spirit. So in this oneness, there's one body. There's one Spirit. Now we'll look at the next one. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Now brethren, we're the call of Christ Jesus. That's just so. There's the general call. There's the effectual call. There's a general call, the call of nature, the call of conscience, the call of providence or judgment, the call of law, the call of general preaching. But there's that effectual call of the Holy Spirit whereby God singles out his elect and says, you come. Zacchaeus, come down. Matthew, follow me. Lazarus, come forth. James and John, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Saul, Saul, why persecuted Simon, whom he foreknew, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, whom he predestinated, he what? Called. He called. And he called you by our gospel. Isn't that what Paul said? He called you by our gospel. This is the way God calls men to preach. When this pastor stands here and preaches on Sunday and Wednesday, that's the gospel by which you're called. And when God in his own time to accomplish his purpose sends that gospel effectually into the heart of a sinner, he calls him. Now, what's the hope of our calling? Every one of us has got the same hope. We're in the same body. We have the same spirit, and we have the same hope. What is the hope of our calling? Turn to 1 John 3, and I'll show it to you. 1 John chapter 3. Here's the hope of our calling. 1 John chapter 3. And you've heard this read many, many times on television and radio. You've heard it preached from. 
And nearly every time a preacher reads it and preaches from it, he preaches on the second coming of Christ. And it does have reference to his return. But I want you to watch this carefully. In 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Every believer is a son of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. We know him. He knows us and we know each other. Beloved, now are we sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this. When he shall appear, we're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, what hope? We're going to be like him. Isn't that what he's talking about? He says when he shall appear, we're going to see him and be like him. We're going to be like him. And every man that hath this hope that he's going to be like Christ, he purifieth himself even as Christ is pure. This is what David said. He said, I'll be satisfied when I wake with his likeness. That's my hope to be like Christ. That's what predestination is all about. God has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son. We're going to be like Christ. It's going to take place when he comes again, when this body's raised from the grave and made like Christ to dwell eternally with him. But that's my hope. And every one of us, we're one. We have one body. We have one spirit. And we have one hope to be like Christ. That's our hope. My friends, there are no degrees of glory. Christ is our reward. We're not looking for a bigger mansion than the other fellow or a bigger reward than the other fellow. There are no degrees of glory. The, the very ultimate of glory is to be like Christ. What more could a fellow have than to be like Christ and reign with him? There's one hope, one aspiration. Isn't that right, Pastor? One hope. Be like him. All right, let's hurry. Let's read this next one here. And he says there's one Lord. One Lord. Believers are all brothers. And they love one another. They respect one another. They learn from one another. I wish I could emphasize this like it ought to be emphasized. We are different ages. But in Christ there is no age. There's no young or old. We're one. We have different uh, we have different levels of education but in Christ he is our wisdom he's our wisdom in, in the body of Christ there's different levels of prosperity there's some who have a lot and some who don't have much but Christ is our riches we have the same there's male and female but not in Christ we want we're one in Christ. There's old and young, experienced and some that don't have much experience. But we're one. You see what I'm saying? That's what he's saying here. We're one. We're brothers. But there's one Lord. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. There, uh, there's no... There's no big shot in God's church there's no important one there's no no one wants to be that way 
Mark chapter 10, listen to verse 42. And Jesus called them to him, Mark 10, 42, and said to them, you know that they which are, they which are counted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Their great ones exercise authority upon them, but so shall it not be among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief shall be servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We're one. And there's no fellow that exercises power and lordship. Christ is our Lord. He said, don't call... Let me let you read this. Turn to Matthew 23. It's important that we see this together. Matthew 23, verse 5. He's talking about the Pharisees here, and he says, uh, verse 6, they love the uppermost rooms at the seats. They love the chief seats in the synagogue. Matthew 23, 6. Verse 7, they love the greetings in the marketplaces. They love to be called master, master. But be ye not called master. One is your master, Christ. You are all brethren. Call no man your father upon the earth. One is your father which is in heaven. Don't be called masters. One is your master, Christ. He that's greatest among you will be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. There's one Lord. There's one Lord. He's Lord by design. He's Lord by decree. He's Lord by creation. He's Lord by death. And he's Lord by confession. I confess him to be my Lord. He's our master. Well, you're getting weary, but let me keep you a minute more. One faith. One faith. I hear people say, well, we're not of the same faith. Well, you may be right. <laughs> that fellow may be right. We may not be of the same faith. But I tell you, if you're in Christ, you're of the same faith. That's carelessly used. All who are in God are of the same faith. Now listen to me. Because it may be small faith or great faith. It may be weak faith or strong faith. It may be early faith or late faith. But there's one faith because faith has one author. He's the author of our faith and finisher. Faith has one object, Christ. Faith has one need, salvation. Faith has one foundation, the word of God. And faith has one rest, Christ Jesus. There's one faith. Everybody here who's saved has the same faith. Everybody. And everybody out yonder, I don't care where they are, who they are, if they belong to God, they're looking to Christ and Christ alone by grace through faith. One faith. And listen to this. There's one baptism. One of the peculiar things, that if you have a King James Bible, if you have a Cambridge Bible, every one of these things, these ones, I've named one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, has a reference beside it. Do you notice that? Every one of them has a reference to some other scripture. When you get to one baptism, no reference. No reference. There's so much disagreement. And because these fellows that translate the King James Bible, many of them were sprinklers. <laughs> That's right. That's the reason there's no reference there. And another reason why there's no reference is baptism is by immersion only. 
To be baptism, it has to be immersion. To be a burial, it has to be immersion. And I tell you, to be a burial, the person has to be dead. You don't bury anybody but dead people. <laughs> They'll put you in jail for burying living people. The only person that's a candidate for baptism is one who's dead in Christ. Crucified with Christ. And some people say, well, this baptism has to refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, but I believe it refers to one baptism, and that's the confession of Christ in baptism. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Baptism is identification with Christ. It's confession with Christ, and there's one mode of baptism, and that's immersion. John was baptizing at a certain place because there was much water there. When our Lord Jesus was baptized, he came up straightway out of the water. When Philip baptized the eunuch, they both went down into the water, the Philip and Philip and the eunuch. Baptism is by immersion because baptism is a burial. I'm dead with Christ. I'm buried with Christ. I'm risen with Christ to walk in newness of life. One baptism. And it's for believers. A man can't confess what's not true. And then the last one, listen. And there's one God. One God. And Father of all. He's the Father of all believers. He's above all, that is, He's sovereign over all. He's above all, sovereign. He is through all, that is, by His providence, He directs all things. And He is in you all. That's right, in you all. The Father's in you all. Christ said, I and my Father will take up our abode in you. You see, this is oneness. This is true oneness. And unto every one of us, verse 7, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Every one of us are given the Every one of us. You notice those alls? Let's read verse 4 through 7 again. There's one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, who's through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Grace to believe, grace to continue, grace to endure trials, and grace to live, and grace to die. To every one of you is given grace. And I'll tell you, that grace will be given when you need it. Man told Spurgeon one time, he said, Brother Spurgeon, pray for me. He said, I don't have dying grace. Spurgeon said, are you dying? Well, he said, no. He said, you don't need it. When you come to die, he'll give it to you. And we have grace to every one of us is given grace according to the measure, the gift of Christ. Grace to believe, grace to continue, grace to endure trials, grace to live, and grace to die. We're one. And my friends, that's true oneness. And I challenge any preacher, writer, theologian, or anybody in this world to question that true one. That is oneness. And that's by the grace of God. That's not accomplished by any organization or any human being. It's oneness, one in heart. And it's a miracle of God's grace. I'm thankful that he's been pleased to accomplish that for me and for you, that miracle of grace.